Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17. The red herring of legalism is what this is called. Paul, who wrote this letter, he's been teaching us all that Jesus has done for you. Everything Jesus has done for you. He's been trying to sum it up. He's been trying to explain it. And it could be summed up if you look back, back up in the text in verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, where he said, you are complete in him. You are complete in him. And it cannot be said too many times, you are complete in him. That is the whole point of Colossians, the whole message that you should hear at church every Sunday and be reminding yourself of every week, every day, as you spend time with the Lord, that's the message. You are complete in Jesus. You are totally and forever complete in Jesus alone. And if you have Jesus, you have everything that you could ever need in this life and in the life to come and in all that you would ever, ever need. It's yours in Jesus. And that sums up everything that Paul has really taught us so far. It's not too complicated, is it? You have everything you need in Jesus. Oh, but it can be tricky, guys. It can be tricky. It can seem complicated because there's so many voices saying so many different things, and they come across like like different rules. Like, well, if you really need to be happy, you need this, or you need to do this, or you need to identify with this, or you need to... There's so many different ways that are in our, our ears, voices that we're hearing. It's almost like we have the two guys on our shoulders, right? You got this guy, but I don't know if either one of them are right. I just got all these voices in my head. How can we really know the truth, guys, spiritually? How can you know what is true? Is Jesus really enough? Don't I have to do something? I mean, if I, if I say I'm going to follow Jesus and I believe Jesus is enough, can I, can I really just go murder people and be okay? Can I just do whatever I want to do to make myself happy and follow Jesus? How do I know? Do, do I have to do something weird? Do I have to prove that I'm good? Do I have to prove that I measure up, that I deserve heaven? This book that we're studying, Colossians, it contain, and, and this book in general, just the Bible contains the answer to those questions, and it's always the same. It's always consistent. Jesus is enough. Jesus is God. Jesus is good, and he loves you, and that love is sufficient for everything that we will ever need. His grace is all that we need. We can't ever deserve heaven. We can't ever measure up. We don't ever deserve anything. Yes, Jesus gives us everything we need, and he gives all of that to undeserving people who simply place their faith in him alone. That's what Jesus does. So what are you saying? Let's explain how legalism comes into this and how how we, we struggle with this. Because what happens is we got these rules and we know, okay, to do God's will is to do these things, to be nice and to be loving and forgiving and all the, all the things we know are the, the will of God. And so we think we need to do those things in order to be accepted by God, but that's not the way the Bible says it happens. Yes, those things are the will of God, 
But what happens is God accepts us first by his grace, by his love. He accepts us first before you do anything right, before you even think of doing what's right. The moment you realize you're wrong and you come to him for his grace and forgiveness, he accepts you perfectly. And then the song that we sang, remember the song, I Surrender All? That's not something that we do to be accepted. It's something we do because we're already accepted. God says, I've accepted you and I love you no matter what, so do whatever you want to do. <gasps> How dare you say such a thing from the pulpit? Do what, don't you know what sinners are in this room? Yeah. But God says you are truly free. And his love to you, God says, will produce in you that surrendered heart and life. Remember that part of that song says, I want to, I feel that fire now that I'm surrendered. And that's what it's talking about is when God touches your heart and life with his grace, that's the only thing that will ever really, really, really change us and change what we do. And that's what grace is. So we're going to read our definition of grace that's on this poster right over here, right above Jesus's beautiful head. It says, grace is God's free provision through his son, Jesus, as we humbly trust in the person and work of his son, Jesus generously gives us all that we need, yearn for, and all that we're commanded to walk in and become. We could never deserve, earn, or produce this grace on our own. We're always undeserving. So there's nothing we can do to make ourselves deserving of his acceptance and approval and Oh, you know what? I, I think I've been impressing God lately with how I've been behaving. No, you're not. We don't ever impress. There's one person that ever impressed God, and who was that? Okay, I heard you first. 25 Jesus points for you. Right there. <laughs> okay. He impressed God. In fact, God ripped open heaven one time, twice, twice, to just tell the world, Jesus is really impressing me. Remember when Jesus was baptized and God stopped everything and spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everyone heard it. And everyone's like, what? And then a couple years later, he takes his disciples up on the, mount, uh, up on the mountain and God transfigures him and shows them his glory. And Jesus is like glowing. And they're like, oh, what do we do? And, and God's like, Peter, shut up. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. What he says is right, Peter. And so Jesus is the one that, that has done everything right and does everything right. We get to receive the benefits of all that he did. And that's what it means when we describe grace. That's what grace is. And it changes us. It really does change us. Well, today we're going to study the first of three things that can ruin your faith when it comes to your spiritual life and understanding how, how God thinks about you, his grace. And the first thing that we're going to study is, is legalism. Um, our spiritual life is, is safe only when we cling to Jesus. Anything that distracts you from Jesus is literally trying to sabotage your spiritual life. So when we start thinking of, not what Jesus did, but what I have to do, 
boom, we've, 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 we've tripped. We've turned around. We got to keep our eyes focused on who? Right. Who got those Jesus points? Rich, I heard you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you guys know they're fake, right? I can't really give Jesus points. Okay. I just want to make sure you understand the joke, the sarcasm. Okay, good. But what's not sarcastic is we must cling to Jesus. And anything that distracts us from that is false and, like I said, a distraction. And legalism is number one. We're going to study that this week. Next week, we're going to study one called weird spirituality. Spells and, and magic stuff and weird, you know, you go into churches and you're like, that's weird. That's what we'll be talking about next week. Anything that you think you can do that will magically affect the spiritual world is a joke. Okay, you guys can't do that. We can't do that. We can't put our trust in that. Jesus does things in the spiritual world for us. We can't do it ourselves. The third week we're going to study is, is, have you heard the term holier than thou? Okay, so it's, it's called asceticism where if you think that by living a, a life where you don't do fun things and you don't partake in things, that that makes you better than someone else. That's called asceticism, and that'll be the third thing that we study in two weeks. So invite your friends. <laughs> all three of these are really just pride, okay? That's, that's what they all are. Pride taking different, for, different forms, okay? So legalism, weird spirituality, and asceticism, they're all just weird parts of pride. So our text for today is Colossians two sixteen and 17. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. Guys, the time of shadows is over. The real thing has come. That's what Paul says. All these laws and rules, they were shadows and Jesus is the real thing. Guys, all throughout the Lord of the Rings, there's this epic story of a coming shadow. You remember how it starts? They're like, there's a shadow rising in the east or something like that. Something sinister was in the land of Mordor, and it was casting a shadow before it. So something real is there in Mordor, but they were sensing that, that it's not fully arrived yet. That's why there was, it was just a shadow. So, by the way, what do you call a gangster hobbit? Yolo Swaggins. And his gang, the Fellowship of the Bling. <laughs> You're welcome. Yolo Swaggins. <laughs> As Christians, we have to understand how to relate to the Old Testament and what the Old Testament is and all those rules. And, and there's like a good portion of the Bible is the Old Testament, you know, and, and there's all these rules there. And how do we relate to it? And Paul says here, you got to understand that those are a shadow. I was walking around at the, the apartments back here and I met a lovely lady and I said, hey, do you want to come to church on Sunday? And she said, no, I go to church on Saturdays. And that's the only real time people can go to church because it's the law. 
And if you don't go to church on Saturdays, then you're going to go to hell. And I said, that's not what the Bible says. And she said, I disagree with you. So we didn't talk much after that. But <laughs> what, what is going on there is she has a law that she thinks she and everyone must follow in order to prove themselves to God, in order to be saved or be forgiven. And that, that what she's not understanding is that that law is a shadow. It's a shadow. All laws in the Old Testament are shadows. The law contained in the uh, Old Testament is just a shadow, and it's a shadow that is cast from Jesus. That means it's a good shadow. Are laws bad? No, they're incredibly good. The law is simply what Jesus would look like if he ever became a man. If God became a man, what would he look like? The law. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with the law. It's like a shadow that the the light was behind a cross. It shines a cross in front of our lives. And we can be like, oh, this is what God is like. So whoever falls in love with a shadow. I know I've said this before, but it's the best illustration. Imagine me coming home from a long, long, long trip. And my wife, who's been sitting by the window, pining for my return. When I pull up, you know, and she dries the tears and she, she says, Oh, my beloved has returned from his journey. And, you know, she runs out of the house, flings open the door with reckless abandon and love. And zeal and great effort and sincere commitment, she runs straight towards me. And as she approaches me, she seems to lose eye contact with me. And instead, she, instead of throwing her arms around me, she starts hugging and kissing my shadow on the ground in front of me. I mean, I wouldn't trust my shadow. He's a shady guy. That's weird, right? Who would hug and kiss a shadow? Why would you give your attention and your affection to a shadow when the real thing is standing right in front of you? My wife would never do that. She wouldn't even be watching. She'd be working on something. (laughs) I'd be like, honey, I'm home. She'd be like, hi. (laughs) Just kidding. You love me. I know it. Okay, so we're going to read our text again. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So Paul says that because we are complete in Jesus, he is the real thing and we don't need shadows anymore. But people are going to try to go back to shadows. They're going to try to hug and kiss these shadows when they can't see that they're actually connected to the real thing, when, when they lose eye contact with the real Jesus, they, they fall to the shadows. They think that that's how they're going to connect with God. 
The laws and religious rituals and traditions of the Old Testament are all shadows. Like foods, he mentions here, foods and drinks. These are the special diets that that God had prescribed for the, the nation of Israel. And then there was all these festivals, which he mentions here, which were special celebrations and new moons where the people had to gather and, and, and sleep outside or throw a party or cook certain things. And then there was Sabbaths, and there were special Sabbaths, and then there was weekly Sabbaths, and these were weekly or special days where they weren't allowed to work. And all of these things, all of them, point to who? Jesus. Exactly. I gave you, well, I pointed at you, so like 10 Jesus points for that one. Okay. But all of those shadows are obsolete when Jesus comes. All of them. No one should enforce these rules for you to be spiritual. You don't have to do any of them. If you know Jesus, the shadow is inconsequential. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Great. Tell me about that. I do these things and not those things. Nope. That's a shadow. I drink these things and not those things. Nope. That's a shadow. I party this way. Nope. I keep this special holiday. I go to church on this special day and I keep it holy. I Celebrate Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas. All of those things are missing the point completely. Those don't make you a Christian at all. Christians are those who have a real relationship with Jesus through humility and faith. That's what a Christian is. It's not magical things. There's, you know, you either think that these shadows are the way God looks at you to judge whether you are approved in his sight, or you think they're magical, that they will magically change his way he works because he's dumb. But he's not dumb. God never is changed. His his impression of us doesn't change by what we do. He looks at us by what Jesus did, or he looks at us in truth, like that we are sinners, and we can't ever fix that ourselves. And not all legalistic keeping of rules and rituals, um, I mean, keeping legalistic rules and rituals don't get us into a real relationship with God. Why don't they work? Because the heart behind legalism is always pride. That's why we have to get this. Every, this aisle, this aisle, this aisle, and this aisle, we have to understand legalism is pride. It's pride. That's why it's wrong. That's why we have to get this. Pride that refuses to admit its spiritual bankruptcy. We are spiritually bankrupt. And it's so awesome to say that. And that's what we need. I can't, I can't really follow the rules. I could try. But when I'm trying, I think like this. I can follow that rule. 
So maybe that'll impress God. I could follow this rule. I could be like this. I could try harder. I could impress God. I can, I can, I can, I can. I, 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 I. Who am I thinking about? Me. Is my attention even on God? No. Is my attention on Jesus, who is the one who God said, look at him and you'll be saved? No. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, the, all the people start complaining against, against God, and so God sends poisonous snakes to go bite them all. This is awesome. And you're like, why would God do such a mean thing? He's not being mean. A, they deserved it because <laughs> they were being idiots, and they're, they're literally sinning against the holy God, so they deserve it. But he didn't do it to just destroy them. So all the people are like, God, Wait, we were wrong. Maybe we shouldn't complain against you, and maybe we should actually follow you. So what do we do, God? We have all been bit by poisonous snakes, and we're dying. So God says to Moses and Aaron, make a pole and put a bronze snake on it, and then when people look at that snake, they'll be healed. Just look at it. Okay? God says, I will provide the grace to heal. Yes, I allowed the judgment to come, but I will also provide the healing because you have to know where salvation comes from. It doesn't come from you. It comes from me. And so what do we have to do, God? Look at it. I don't want to. Then die. Isn't that, is that really that hard? That's how easy faith is. Putting your trust in looking unto Jesus is salvation. And when we're looking at rules and laws, we are thinking, we're looking at I and me. What can I do to impress God? Not what has Jesus done for me, him on the cross. That snake was Jesus. It was a picture of Jesus. What, how can a snake be a picture of Jesus? Because snakes are evil. And when Jesus was on the cross, he became all of our sin. All of our sin was put in him, and so God killed him there so that we could know that our sin was dead and done with and dealt with, just like Jesus was dead. But just like Jesus was given new life by God's grace, so are we. See how it all makes sense? All right. When legalism chokes out all true spiritual life because it doesn't come from, or because it, it comes from I or me. Spiritual life can never come from me. It should, that's why we can't live spiritually when we're trying to impress God. When we say, I do blank, and that impresses God, I have done blank, we're never going to experience the life-giving grace of Jesus because that's pride. And James 4, 6, what does it say? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So God can never help you when you're still thinking about yourself. And what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish, he can't be part of that because he gives grace to those who will look at Jesus. So instead of giving life, legalism steals it and puts us in handcuffs and we can't get out. We are in bondage and paralyzed by legalism. Sadly, many genuine American believers are still living under this yoke of bondage, thinking that if I just do this or that, I'll be more acceptable to God. And they may not say this overtly and outwardly, but their actions betray them. What actions? What are they hugging? What, are, what is their attention focused on? 
Where's the connection? Are they hugging the shadows or are they hugging Jesus? You're like, what, what is it? What's the difference? There's a big difference. The shadows are what I have to do. Jesus did stuff for me. So what am I focused on? What, are, what am I loving? Am I loving what I do or try to do or am I loving what he did for me? And that's the big difference between a Christian and an imposter or someone who doesn't understand God's grace. Am I in love with shadows or am, in, am I in love with the real thing? Look around at our world. Many saints today practice giving up certain things in Lent. Have you, have you heard of Lent? <laughs> Sandra has a hilarious story about Lent. Go and ask her about her Lent story. Anyway, people try to give things up to, to impress God, to, to Im- thinking that they're going to improve their relationship with God by saying, I'm not going to drink soda or do drugs or whatever their thing is that they give up for Lent. And seeking, you know, some seek to be more acceptable to God by wearing special clothes or not wearing other clothes. Or The Jews, you know, keep a kosher kitchen. And a lot of them don't even know why. Most of them, I would say. One Jewish woman was asked why she keeps a kosher kitchen. She said, I don't know. It's just part of our religion. The Mormons, you know, that cult, they, they teach that a person can't be in a, good, a good member if they drink tea or coffee. Right? It's, and these are these outward things that they have to do to be accepted. Seventh-day Adventists insist that a person must keep the Sabbath, you know, go to church on Saturdays and not go to work, never work on a Saturday in order to please God. Well, if that's the case, then what did Jesus do? And the answer to them is nothing that I need because I can impress God all by myself. But that's not the gospel. Paul says, don't let anyone judge you on your spirituality on the basis of these shadows because you have the substance. You have it. The body, the substance means the body, which is Christ is dwelling in you and he is your hope and your glory. So Dana's wonderful illustration of hugging me is what we have with Jesus. We get the real thing. We are really hugging Jesus, when we put our hope and trust in him. So I just want to dig into this idea of the food and drink real quick, because he says again, let no one judge you in food or drink, because it's a shadow of things to come, but the substance of Christ. We're not talking about gluttony or drunkenness. Both of those obviously don't lead to more spiritual life, but that's not what he's talking about. Those are just wastefulness. Okay, But what he's talking about is deeper and more foundational than that because legalists want us to believe that not eating and not drinking will make us more spiritual or impress God, and that's a vehicle to a better life with God. Just don't, don't partake in those things. But Jesus takes both of these and shows us what the real substance is, the, the real thing that makes these shadows that that may be good at certain times. In John chapter 6, I'm going to read a bunch of verses from John chapter 6. 
just to give us the idea of how Jesus talks about food and drink. He says this, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Right? So that's food, right? He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes to me shall never thirst. That's 35 verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of Man and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So Jesus is saying, guys, I am I'm the real thing. And all you have to do is believe, see me and believe upon me. I am the bread of life as your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give is my flesh, which is given for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, how, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And, and so they're like, that's weird. We don't want to eat people. And, and he says, Jesus says to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Okay, so it's not about actually eating his body and drinking his blood, but he says this is all a picture of abiding or remaining or trusting in me. That's the real thing. So you can't worry about other breads and wines and things that you should or shouldn't do. You don't have to worry about those things. It's all about Jesus. Then he says, as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forevermore. So it's not less eating that we need, but more eating, which is, according to Jesus' words, it's taking his life into us. Like you take a piece of bread, you chew it up, and it goes into you, and it becomes part of you. Jesus says, that's what it means to take what I say and make it a part of you and eat it. And then to talk about drink, he, in chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So Jesus explained to the woman at the well that the water that people need is to be spiritual water. And he said, everything, everyone who drinks of this water, which is physical, is going to thirst again. So he's saying, everything you do that, that has this physical, like, that you're trying to pursue in the world, that physical that you can see and taste with your body, it's like, it's not going to really satisfy you. But whoever drinks the water, which is the spiritual water that I give, the spiritual life that I give Jesus, will never thirst. That means their internal desire for more will be satisfied because what did we learn at the beginning? Jesus is enough. 
and Jesus completes us. That's what that means. So we don't need to stop drinking. We just need to drink from the right fountain. That's the free gift that is only in Jesus. So all our eating, all you ever do to eat and drink, and and I think this week we have something, we're all going to be eating and drinking a lot this week. And in it, I want you guys to remember that every time you eat and drink, it's just a picture of where our life is truly supposed to come from because you're going to get hungry again. It might feel like you're never going to be hungry again after you eat a wonderful Thanksgiving meal, but you will hunger again. But all of it is a picture and a shadow of the real thing, which is Jesus will never, you will never hunger and thirst again, but he will always satisfy you. So Jesus says, don't let anyone judge you in food or drink or regarding a new moon or or, uh, festival or Sabbath, which are all a shadow. Sometimes parties and special days or church services, sometimes we think that those make us spiritual. Oh, how's your relationship with God? Oh, I've been going to church all the time, so it's awesome. Or I went to this special conference, and so I'm doing great with Jesus. Those don't make you spiritual. Jesus does. In, in 1 Corinthians, it calls Jesus our Passover. He is the real thing that all those parties talked about. In the, in the text in 1 Corinthians, it says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, and that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, but, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's asking there, should we keep a fast? Paul says, you can party, you can go to church, you can go to a conference, but only if you celebrate him, only him. Only him. Because he's the real thing. Don't hug a shadow. Parties are shadows. Even gathering together is a shadow. If Jesus isn't the focus of it, if Jesus isn't the the only thing being talked about. We can't glory in our anything. That's pride. And pride is the leaven that infects the whole lump. So if we let anything become the thing that we do to impress God, it it ruins it all. It gets into the whole piece of bread, and the whole bread is leavened by pride. And that's why he says we got to be free from that. But in him, we are pure, he said. You That's not who you really are, by his sacrifice for us. So celebrate Jesus only. Don't celebrate days or don't celebrate anything special that we have done. Only what Jesus has done for us. Do days of rest make us spiritual? Sabbath days? Self-care? That's a big topic these days, a big, you know, uh, term. No, it doesn't make you more spiritual at all. Jesus is our rest. He claims to be our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. We rest in him. We don't need to seek out any other respite. It's only trusting in him that matters. Why are so many Christians burnt out? Because they're trying so hard to accomplish what Jesus already did for them. Everything that looks spiritual is not, is what we're seeing here. You've probably heard the expression red herring, right? 
So legalism is a red herring. What, what that term came from is when they would train hunting dogs to follow the scent of their prey. And once the dogs were following the proper scent, you know, through the forest, they would draw red herrings, which were stinky fish, rotting fish, all over their paths to get them off track. And they had to learn how to, uh, and they had to be trained how to ignore that scent and instead stay, stay focused on the scent of their prey. So a red herring is something that was introduced to divert our attention away from what we should be pursuing. Legalism, or the idea that you need to impress God or do something to be accepted by God is a red herring to distract you from the path. And it's very simple. Paul says Jesus is all you need to be authentically a Christian and have everything that you need. Be forgiven and be God's child. He alone is the source of spiritual life. He said previously, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, everything that you could ever need for spirituality. And it's all ours when we connect with him, when we hug him. And you may ask, this is the last question, if you don't hear anything I've said, one more sentence. How do we hug him? Humility and faith. You say, Jesus, I need you. That's this arm. And Jesus, I trust you. That's this arm. And you just grab a hold of him, and that is how to, how to not ever get tripped up by legalism. Does that all make sense? Clear as mud? All right. Rich says mic drop. I guess that's my cue. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to spend some time just connecting with him through singing, singing a couple songs. And uh, so put into practice that idea of, of uh, hugging the real thing, not a shadow, not a shadow. So does this mean I can be a Christian and just do anything I want to do? that there's no consequences whatsoever? Obviously, there are earthly consequences to sin, and God will discipline his children. But to be a Christian means you are accepted by God, and God will always accept you on the basis of faith alone. So there's a, there's a difference. Yes, we will have to surrender all. Yes, we will have to obey him. But it's not like you're not going to want to. Because you're going to want to, because he has changed our hearts. He has touched us with that fire of his love. And so why would I never want to do his will? The biggest argument that I hear about this is you're like, well, if you tell people that just God's grace is so big and God's love is so real, they're going to just do whatever they want, and sin and sin and sin some more. And don't you know how horrible that is? And I say, let me get this straight. You're telling me that love does not produce a love response? Because it does. If someone loves you, if someone gives you a million dollars for no reason, you're going to have a loving response to that person you will respond with love. 
love produces love. And God's love, is so, his grace is so much greater than a million dollars. He's giving us forgiveness and adoption and things that we could never in a billion years earn or deserve. And yet he has just given it to us because of his great love. And that produces, that grace produces all the change that we will ever need. It will produce more than you could ever produce in a million years of trying. His grace is that powerful. And we believe in it. It can and does transform. God loves you. And it's real. So hug him. Hold on to him. Amen.